You could probably already tell by the title of this podcast, but just in case, a heads up. Adult language will definitely be making an appearance. So if you're at work, around the kids, or just in front of some judgy pets, might want to grab some headphones. Here we go. Leslie, welcome to my effing desk bonus episode, three things about Disney Pixar's soul. As soon as I saw the movie soul with my family, I think we actually saw it on Christmas day. I knew I wanted to talk about it with you. It was one of those movies that just kind of blew my mind and I'm not the only one. It's definitely not your typical kids movie, is it? It definitely has some funny parts in it and some lighter moments, but it is so indicative of how kids' movies are nowadays. I saw a tweet about it the other day. Pixar movies when we were little were like, yay, talking toys. And now it's like, how do you make meaning out of an otherwise meaningless existence? What is the definition of purpose? All these super, super deep things. But I love it. I love that we're respecting kids' intelligence and giving them other options than just kind of the typical black and white, good and bad. The princess finds the prince or the prince finds her and they live happily ever after and such flat, unrealistic crap that so many generations were fed. So I'm all for it. Before we keep going with my three things about soul that I want to share with you, there are going to be major spoilers. This whole episode is a spoiler. So if you have not seen it yet and you uh, don't want to have it spoiled for you, maybe go check it out first and then come back and listen. Or if you don't feel bothered by that kind of stuff, then keep listening. The first big theme that stuck out to me is this idea that a spark isn't a soul's purpose. So if you've seen the movie, you know that that's the whole deal is that Joe, in addition to all of his things, is trying to help 22 find their spark. I loved the idea as a side note that all of these mentors, like people who'd already passed away, like Mother Teresa and Einstein and whoever else mentored 22, that they were the ones that helped new souls find their spark. That I thought was such a cool note that people that came before us somehow guide us on our way on earth once we, we make our way down. Once that theme showed up, that a spark is separate from your purpose, it made me stop and think, have to mull over it for a few days. You know, I think we have that idea from being asked all our lives from the time we're in high school, deciding where to go to college, if we're going to college and what it is that we're into. What are you going to be when you grow up? What are you going to do? There's this idea that there is a predestined thing that we are set for, that we are going to do. And that's our thing. And it's our job to figure out what that thing is and to do it. And if we are not able to do it somehow, then we're failure. And I loved that this kind of turned it on its head and was saying, your spark is the thing that makes you feel alive and kind of gets you through life and makes life enjoyable and lights you up. But it may or may not be your purpose. It isn't necessarily your purpose. I read this article in Vox that described it really well. I'll put a link in the show notes. The author, Alyssa Wilkinson said, there's no slot on earth into which you specifically are meant to fall. Instead, there's something about living that in turn sparks life in you. And it may or may not overlap with how you make a living or where you live 
or myriad other things about you. Man, that's some deep stuff for a kid's movie, right? That's deep stuff for any movie. The thing that I think is so good for our kids and for us to hear about this is what Alyssa continues on to say. She says, this means that your worth as a person isn't tied to the job that you have either. I mean, geez, that just spoke right to me. How much better would our society be if we all understood that, that our worth as a person is not tied to our job because it may or may not be tied to what makes us feel alive and that's okay and normal. Good job, Disney and Pixar writers. Hell yeah. The other little tangent that I wanted to talk about is Joe's whole attitude that because he has spent most of his life teaching and not working as a full-time jazz musician, that he somehow failed. I mean, that's really central to this whole idea in the whole plot line, right? He's like constantly chasing after that gig that he wants that's going to prove him as a real musician and not quote unquote, just a middle school band teacher. In that big moment with his mom, he says, I'm just afraid that if I die today, my life would have amounted to nothing. And that really shook her. That was such a great moment. But it's so telling, right? In the creative field, a lot of people end up teaching to make ends meet. They may or may not actually want to teach, but they end up doing it. And I think that there is a sense of failure with that or that it's something that anyone could do. P.S. Totally wrong. Totally wrong. Not everyone could teach and not everyone should teach. But still, there's still that perception, isn't there? And I think there's also a perception among some in the creative community that having any sort of a regular job, but especially teaching, but anything regular with like a steady paycheck or in the corporate world or something that you don't have to piece together is a cop-out somehow. If it's not directly tied to your spark, to your creative ability, then it's settling and therefore not good enough. That attitude and Joe's attitude in the movie is such a narrow definition of success and what making it is. I think of all the people that Joe inspired through his teaching. You think of Curly, his former student who ended up calling him to come and play the gig with Dorothea Williams was obviously very successful. The little girl whose name I can't remember right now, God, that scene where she came and wanted to quit and he slash Tina Fey, 22, inadvertently talked her back into playing that just choked me up so much. So who's to say that's not successful, right? I mean, who is to say that just because he is not working as a jazz musician and nothing else that his life has amounted to nothing? It reminds me also of that movie, Mr. Holland's Opus, where it was a similar situation. The main character, Richard Dreyfuss's character, had to teach because life kind of kept getting in the way. And he really wanted to, I think he was a composer. And um, at the end when he's retiring and all of his former students come back. And oh my God, I'm just getting choked up just thinking about it. Your art is not just about what it does for you and the emotions that it produces in you and the boxes that it checks off on your bucket list. It's about what it inspires in others and the gifts that it gives to others. There was also a moment where Joe's preconceived concepts of being born to do a certain thing really got turned on their head when he's talking to Des, the barber. And he explains to 22 outside the barber shop that 
Des was just born to be a barber. Like that is his spark. That's his thing. And he's surprised when they get into the conversation a little deeper to find out that he actually wanted to be a vet and couldn't because his daughter got sick and barber school was cheaper, he said. So Joe slash 22 says, well, wow, that that sucks. Like you must be miserable now. And Des is like, no, I'm happy as a clam. I get to meet interesting people and make them feel good about themselves. So again, what a great message for everyone but especially for kids to take that pressure off of having to find a job that overlaps with your spark, combining that with your purpose and all of these things into one and instead making the most out of whatever it is that you have. All right. The second thing that caught my attention in Disney Pixar soul movie was the concept of lost souls. That again was something that really tugged at my heartstrings. The way they animated them, it almost looked like those microscopic bacteria. They're, I forget what they're called, but they're super creepy. Moonwind's character says lost souls are obsessed by something that disconnects them from life. And there was the one going around saying, make a trade, make a trade, make a trade. And you find out it's the, the stockbroker guy just like like sitting there in his cubicle doing this monotonous job until he kind of breaks free. I felt like that was exclusively for the adults and the audience, you know. It was hard to watch because I feel like there are so many lost souls, you know, for one reason or another. I mean, damn, it's just easy to let life beat you down and become one of those people that's just obsessed by maybe something in your past or something that's going on now. Or I don't know, I could see me going around there being like, get the kids to bed on time, get the kids to bed on time, get them fed, his homework done. No one is immune to that. And I think we've all felt like those lost souls at times. I remember specifically when my twins were little and I was actually teaching at the time and just feeling like a robot. That feeling comes back to me every now and then when I'm not doing anything to like feed my soul, to take care of myself. I'm just kind of going through the motions of getting everyone fed, getting everyone's basic needs met. You just start to feel like, what's the point? I'm just a robot that cooks and cleans and tucks people in and manages. And it was so gratifying to see the guy kind of go crazy with happiness and break out of all that. Later, when I was thinking about that deal with the lost souls, it reminded me of the artist way, Julia Cameron's creative Bible. If you haven't done that, I highly recommend it. Her whole thing in that is about getting unblocked that you can't create fully until you are unblocked and that the unhappiest people in the world are blocked by something. Creative people are happiest when they are creating and they can't create if they're blocked. So being blocked could come in the form of being shut down by a teacher at a young age, at an impressionable age, and they tell you your painting is crap, you're talentless, and you should just give it up or a parent who wasn't supportive of you. There's all sorts of ways to get blocked. I think Stephen Pressfield even talks about this in The War of Art. He alleges that Hitler was actually a pretty decent artist, a pretty good painter. I don't remember how, but somehow got blocked and stopped painting and became what he became. I don't think he attributes the entire Holocaust to him being a blocked artist, but there's the idea that it does disconnect you from life. There was another part of the movie that was so great that was connected with this in a way, talking about the zone. 
the space between physical and spiritual that so many people know so well, creatives, athletes, even the when the guy is spinning the sign when he was in the zone and everything else just fell away. I loved the depiction of that as like a physical place you could go to that was kind of magical because, you know, that is such a sweet spot that we're constantly looking for as creatives. It's so hard to get to. So I love that little nod to that. The last thing I wanted to talk about with soul was at the very end, this idea of success as being fleeting. And it was so timely because I think I saw this right before episode five of this podcast came out, the Ask Me Anything episode. And I had talked in that about this idea that people have that if they can just get published, if they can just land that part, if they can just get into that gallery or a critique in the New York Times or some outward sign of acceptance of having made it, that their lives will change. And I say in that episode that the person you are before you're published or critiqued or reviewed or in that role or cast is the person you're going to be afterwards. It's not going to change. So I loved at the end, after Joe has spent the whole movie trying to get to this gig with Dorothea Williams, he keeps saying, if I can just make it to this gig, my whole life will change. This is all I need. It's like, I could just see the setup. And I was like, yes, I love where they're going with this. And the moment when he finally makes it, is magical and he's in the zone and everyone's just grooving and jazzing and it feels so satisfying, so fulfilling. And then it's over and he's standing out in front of the club waiting for a cab or something. And he asked Dorothea something like, what do we do now? And she's like, well, we come back tomorrow and do it again. And he kind of stops and is like starting to feel bummed out. And she says, what's wrong? And he's like, I've just been waiting for this day my whole life. I thought I'd feel different. And here's what she says. I heard this story about a fish. He swims up to this older fish and says, I'm trying to find this thing they call the ocean. The ocean, says the older fish. That's what you're in right now. This, says the younger fish, this is water. What I want is the ocean. And then she just walks away and he's left to contemplate this this metaphor that she's dropped in his lap. You see him riding the subway home and everything is as it always was. It's exactly the same as it was the day before when he didn't have this life-changing experience, this incredible moment in the zone. It's all kind of gray. Everyone's on their phones. It's hot and stuffy and smelly. It reminded me of those moments after finishing an amazing performance on stage to a sold out house, like I did Evita about a year and a half ago, bucket list role, a role I never thought I would play, but always hoped I would. I would just feel like I'd nailed it. I would be in the zone completely. The audience was right there with me and we had that connection and it was incredible. And then I'd get off stage and get out of my costume, take off my wig, get on my street clothes and drive home. And a kid would be sick or the cat had thrown up on the carpet or something, or there was a pile of dishes left to do in the sink. And it can be really easy to, to get bummed out by that. It's like you're expecting to step out of that zone into like a musical or something. I don't even know what, into something magical. Like the world has somehow changed because for that moment it did for you. But that's not how it works. It's just back to life. It was a momentary sort of reprieve from your troubles and from everything. And that has to be enough. 
And as wonderful as that is, it's fleeting. So all we can do is enjoy it while it lasts. All right. I hope you enjoyed this episode of three things about Disney Pixar's soul. A little bit different from our normal episodes, but it definitely felt in keeping with lots of the themes we've been talking about so far this season. If you have any thoughts about the movie or anything else that you'd like to share with us, shoot an email over to myeffingdeskpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to leave us a review and a rating if you're enjoying the show. We really appreciate that and it helps new people find the show. Make sure you're also following us on all the social media places, Facebook and Instagram at My Effing Desk Podcast, Twitter at My Effing Desk Pod, Pinterest and TikTok as well at My Effing Desk Podcast. I'm going to do a whole board on Pinterest about soul stuff, which should be lots of fun. So check that out. We'll see you next time. And until then, go shake some shit up. Mm-hmm.